We care about the truth. And we should. Knowing how to separate fact from fiction is crucial to making good decisions. The million-dollar question is, how do we do it? For me, it often feels like I just know the truth when I see it or hear it. So let's put this to the test. Sharks existed at least 10 million years before trees did. What do you think? Is this true? Now, here are some other statements read by different people. After each one, decide for yourself, true or false. On Saturn, it rains diamonds. Babies don't dream. Human blood contains gold. The national animal of Scotland is the unicorn. Hair and fingernails keep growing a while after we die. How did you decide? The first thing you probably did was just try to remember. What do you know about fossils or space or Scotland? What have you read about the dream worlds of children or the elements composing the human body? But your mind was also doing something else without you knowing. It was analyzing things that had nothing to do with the statements you heard and a lot to do with who said them. Who is this person? Does she sound smart? Can I trust him? And to find clues to these questions, one of the things your brain likely attended was the voice. You see, voices aren't just sounds. They're auditory faces. And like the face, they can give us clues to things like age, gender, and emotion. They can also result in impressions that are just wrong. On Saturn, it rains diamonds. Did you think this was true? What does credibility sound like? On Saturn, it rains diamonds. On Saturn, it rains diamonds. On Saturn, it rains diamonds. Today's podcast is about accents. What we think they tell us, what they actually tell us, and why we need to care. Welcome to Outsmarting Implicit Bias. There are certain sounds we recognize from the moment we're born. A heartbeat, the stories and music we heard in the womb, a mother's voice, and a familiar accent. At just five months old, infants will look more at someone who speaks with a native accent than a foreign one. This is preference. By 10 months, preference turns into trust. Babies reach more for toys that are offered by someone with a familiar accent than someone who sounds like a stranger. And psychologist Katherine Kinsler at Cornell University found that if you ask a preschooler who they want to be friends with, they'll choose the person who sounds like them over the person who looks like them. That is, at least when we're young, accent trumps race. But by the time we turn nine or ten, something shifts. Accents start to take on other values. Smart, dumb, nice, mean. A five-year-old may tell you he wants to be friends with someone who sounds like him. But research shows that a 10-year-old can now tell you that someone with a southern accent is nicer, but that someone with a northern accent is smarter, even if that 10-year-old is from the South. That's where logic breaks down. Of course, people who live in different places will develop different accents. But is a regional accent a useful cue to the IQ of an entire population? Of course not. So why do we think this? The simple answer is learning. Learning about social groups and the qualities of these groups. We don't even have to try. We learn stereotypes from all kinds of things. 
from children's movies and cartoons where villains consistently have non-American accents, from jokes, news stories, and the voices we hear on public radio. Over time, these associations take root. They automatically come to mind, even when the stereotypes are about our own group. Do Southerners really belong up here? I know that they do, but I think, well, why don't I hear it up here? Is it because people assume it's unintelligent? Do people suppress it because they think others think that they're unintelligent because they have that accent? You know, it makes me question my own intelligence sometimes. I hate that it does. This is Emily Hackney. She's from Tazewell, Virginia. It borders West Virginia and it's about an hour from Kentucky and about an hour from Tennessee. She now spends most of her time in Massachusetts as a rising senior at Harvard University. As we were developing this podcast, we came across an article Emily wrote for the student newspaper. In it, Emily writes about the fact that she's only heard one other Southern accent on campus and how she briefly tried to suppress her own to fit in. I tried, I really did try. It just came out sounding so strange in my mouth. And I don't know, I feel so pretentious when I I do it. When I first heard this, I thought, what? Nearly 20% of Harvard's undergraduate population comes from the South. Is it really possible that so many people could be doing this? But as I read more about accents, I realized how common a story this was. Recently, I listened as a managing director of a Fortune 500 company spoke about her Hispanic accent. She said she had lost count of how many times she'd interviewed for positions and watched her interviewer decide she was, quote, dumb as soon as she started to speak. Newscasters of color have been told to lose the accent if they hope to make a career in broadcasting. And entire industries exist to train everyone from actors to call center employees to get rid of their accents. Hi, this is Diane, and how may I help you today? Whether we're aware of it or not, the accents we hear do influence our judgments. It can happen all the time. Do I trust this medical diagnosis or seek a second opinion? Is this business pitch worth investing in? Does this eyewitness seem reliable? Research suggests that, in part, The answer to all these questions is, well, what do they sound like? The data on accent bias are strong. A review conducted in 2012 looked at over 100 analyses across 20 studies. The overall takeaway was clear. People who speak with a standard accent, that is, the one spoken by the majority or the socially advantaged group, they're seen as more intelligent, high status, competent, and credible than those with accents that are not standard. In these experiments, the only thing changing is the accent. Researchers made sure the actual words people said were exactly the same. But time and again, the data show that that's enough to sway our evaluations. Studies conducted in England and Denmark show that after listening to a police interrogation tape, People think a suspect is more guilty if he has a regional rather than the standard accent. And around the world, job applicants are rated as more hireable, more competent, when they speak with a standard accent. Clearly, how something is said is overpowering the ideas, knowledge, and experience being expressed. And it's changing the way we make important decisions about people. So who should change? Should it be the job of the individual to change their accent to fit in? Or should the hiring manager or the admissions officer find ways to go beyond the accent 
and change how they hear. In 2014, the Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee stirred up controversy when it launched and then quickly canceled accent reduction courses. Stories like this seem to suggest that right now, our society does believe that it's up to us, the listeners, to improve our decision-making by adjusting our minds. That having others change their accent doesn't make sense. Because here's the thing. Our world is growing ever more connected. Interacting with, collaborating with, and making decisions about voices that are different from ours is a reality. So what can we do to outsmart our minds? One idea is to create new associations for the voices you'll hear. When you hear a foreign accent, think to yourself, this person knows stuff that I don't know. Or, without this person, I'm stumped. I can't solve the problem before me. Repeating this until it's overlearned can help you achieve the outcomes that are in your interest. Next, ask yourself, what's the content here? And find ways to set aside how it's packaged. For instance, take notes. This will help keep your focus on the message. Refer back to these as you make decisions rather than relying on your memory of what was said. And when gauging someone's competence or hireability, look for concrete data. What are the sales numbers, the years of experience? What did the person actually achieve? This will help you attend to content over style. Lastly, it's worth reminding ourselves that no matter where we grew up, we all have accents. I once read a BBC article where employees at a call center in the Philippines were asked, what's the hardest part of the job? Their answer? Training themselves to understand the dozens of different accents of the people calling in. This gave me a new perspective. I may come across one new accent when I call in for support, but that person may have to navigate hundreds each day. So run through these the next time you meet, interview, or interact with someone who sounds not like you. Because if we want to trust the right people, find the best talent, and come across the best solutions, accent is a silly thing to filter by. Outsmarting Implicit Bias is a project founded by Mazarin Banaji, devoted to improving decision-making using insights from psychological science. Support for this episode was provided by PwC and Harvard University. This episode was developed by Olivia Kang and Mazarin Banaji and featured Emily Hackney. Special thanks to the Box Center's Learning Lab Studio at Harvard University. Sound editing and mixing was done by Evan Younger. Music was composed by Miracles of Modern Science. For references and related materials, go to outsmartingimplicitbias.org. Listener.